A couple of lone geese flap upon the earth and soar up high. A pair of mandarin ducks stand alone at the pond. Let us put aside for a moment the meeting of two arrowheads in the air. What if a saw cuts a scale weight? Okay. And now the case. Who'd like to read the case? I read the case. Okay. Case with Bayan asked Administrator Monk Shrishan, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. How do you understand this? Shrishan replied, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. Fayan said, if that's so, how could you understand it? Shrishan answered, I am just this. How about you, Osho? Fayan remarked, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. After that, Shrishan bowed low. Would someone else read it? Should we t take parts? Yes. Yeah, let's take parts. Okay, and who would like to be Jishran? Malin? Yeah. Okay. And Starlet, would you be Fayan or Fayan, however you say his name? Yes. Okay, and you don't have to read the narration, just the, the quotations. Okay. If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth, are clearly separated. How did you understand this? If there is even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. If that's so, how could you understand it? I am just this. How about you, Osho? If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth, are clearly separated. At that, Jishan bowed low. So Fayan is a disciple of Luhan Dizan Gichen, and Jishan is a disciple also of the same guy. So they're both disciples of the same teacher. Um, how about uh, Melissa and Donna? Melissa, you want to be Fion? Sure. If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. How do you understand this? If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. If that's so, how could you understand it? I am just this. How about you, Osha? If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. Okay, so what we do now is we um, take 10 minutes and in the 10 minutes we can um, draw or write or sit 
and then we'll come back in 10 minutes and we'll um, let us know how this comes through us. Okay, this is the fun part. <laughs> Who'd like to go first? I can go first if nobody else wants to. I'm short. I mean, it's short. Well, I am short, but it's also short. Are you talk talking? I don't know if I'm hearing. Can you hear me now? Yeah. You going to go okay. first? Oh, great. Thank you. Sure. If you. Okay. Uh, a hair's breadth of difference. I'm thinking that this is a way of seeing uniqueness. Everything is unique, even if the uniqueness is so slight that one might not be able to recognize it. One should look for it, be able to see the uniqueness in everything and everyone. Not to make that uniqueness into something bad, but rather to understand that there are differences that should be acknowledged and enjoyed. Just as the sameness should help us grow closer, also a hair's breadth of difference should be easily overcome. Unfortunately, it is often seen as a chasm impossible to cross. Thank you, Melissa. Well, it's interesting uh, because um, is that good when they're they're clearly separ separated? Clearly is a pretty positive word, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, I took it as being a problem. I think it can be either. Okay. I'm not uh, disagreeing with you. No, no. no I, I'm not disagreeing I, with I, you. I, I just, I was just a little surprised because you took it a little differently than I did. That's nice. Who's next? Starlet? <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't call on me. <laughs> Sometimes hoping doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, mine is very short. I am just this. You are as me. Just a hair's breadth different. Once more. Oh, sure. I am just this. You are as me. Just a hair's breadth different. Basically, it's very similar to what Melissa wrote. Um, I was when what I understood is, is what makes people be a different person 
each individual. So um, if everybody was exactly the same, if everything was exactly the same, there will only be one of, of anything. So if you have a rose and there's only a red rose, that's the only thing that would exist. But we have white roses and yellow and a myriad of colors. And that's what makes it beautiful and wonderful. And it's just life. So. So you kind of see a parallel between heaven and earth and the two characters. Yes, as not being one being better than the other, but as uh, uh, recognizing if we were exactly the same, we would be the same person. We would be only one individual. But just because that difference, difference exists, two people get to exist. If earth and heaven were exactly the same, what would be the difference between the two? What would make one heaven? What would make the other one earth? We have a chant. Maybe we should read it, the merging of difference and unity. Oh, okay. Is that the long one, Kim? It's not the longest, no. <laughs> it's not Thursday. Because I have a chant that's long, too, that I want to read. Oh, okay. So my writing is not a writing. It's not mine, but it's, it's all of ours. Oh, okay. And those of you who attend uh, Zazen, sitting practice in the morning, know it. It's the Shin Shin Ming by Sangan. Um, the great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling to a hair's breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. If you want to realize the truth, don't be for or against. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Not grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. But because you select and reject, you can't perceive its true nature. Don't get tangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. Be at peace in the oneness of things and all errors will disappear by themselves. If you don't live the Tao, you fall into assertion or denial. Asserting that the world is real, you are blind to its deeper meaning. Denying that the world is real, you are blind to the selflessness of all things. The more you think about these matters, the farther you are from the truth. Step aside from all thinking, there's nowhere you can't go. Returning to the root, you find meaning. Chasing appearances, you lose their source. At the moment of profound insight, you transcend both appearance and emptiness. Don't keep searching for the truth, just let go of your opinions. For the mind in harmony with the Tao, all selfishness disappears without even a trace of self-doubt. You can trust the universe completely. 
All at once you are free with nothing left to hold on to. All is empty, brilliant, perfect in its own being. In all the world of things as they are, there is no self, no non-self. If you want to describe its essence, the best you can say is not to. In this not to, nothing is separate and nothing in the world is excluded. The enlightened of all times and places have entered into this truth. In it, there is no gain or loss. One instant is 10,000 years. There is no here, no there. Infinity is right before your eyes. The tiny is as large as the vast when objective boundaries have vanished. And the vast is as small as the tiny when you don't have external limits. Being is an aspect of non-being. Non-being is no different from being. Until you understand this truth, you won't see anything clearly. One is all, all are one. When you realize this, what reason is there for holiness or wisdom? The mind of absolute trust is beyond all thought, all striving, is perfectly at peace. For in it, there is no yesterday, no today, no tomorrow. And that's the Shinshinin. And again, the, that one line that deals with, um, when you cling to a hair's breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. I wonder if heaven and earth, I'll read mine. Okay, are, do you want to say anything more, Nelda? I just want to say that the beauty I find in this is that it continually reminds me that I get lost in the world by seeing every single thing as a constructed different thing, a tomato, a chair and everything. And, and it's, it's not that. It is that. We need to know that in our constructed world so that we don't hit a wall with our car or trip over something that's in front of us. But in terms of its true essence, it is all beautifully, I say, I was going to say just, but beautifully and complexly and simply, all just a different manifestation of the same cosmic energy that just shows up in a different way. It's all one and not, not one. It's, it's not two. <laughs> That's it. Beautiful. Thank you. So what I wrote was, how does it, how does it do to separate heaven and earth? Are they the same or different? What happens when heaven and earth are set apart? Is heaven big mind and earth small mind? How are they different? Why is it just a problem to separate them? What is heaven? What is earth? Is it about space or time? I am just this who... I am, no more. How does that relate? Two disciples of the same teachers. They are equals, not anything special. Being just this. Okay. Malen? Mine is small too. And I sent you a picture if you can share it, please. Via email. 
Can you share it if I make you um, co-host? Because it's not coming through. Okay. But I have a disorder of screens over here. I'm trying to... Okay. So I took a small walk earlier, so I took that picture and I wrote. I looked up to the sky one afternoon just to be reminded that the moon have always been there. Do you see them as set apart? Well, I guess the universe has always been the universe. They're part of the universe. They are the universe. Yeah. I mean, uh, as, as Nelda mentioned, um, we are just in a particular configuration which is just this, but as the time passes by, we will transform this configuration into whatever, dust, a planet, another person, and so on. So make a distinction is just uh, a limit. I guess. It's a beautiful representation, really. Thank you. It is. Both in words and picture. Thank you, Melissa. You need three things, don't you? In a picture. I mean, without the moon, something would be, it would be, something wouldn't connect. Uh, Donna. Okay. Could you um, um, give me share? Of course. Okay. Thank you. Actually, I can just do share all participants. Okay. Now you can okay. share. Oh, it just said our participant has set the caption to Oops, Arabic. I made a mistake. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> Let me shut that off. Okay. All right, let's see. Here we go. All right, so this is, um, it took me a while to get to this. I used um, artificial intelligence Gemini, Gemini, actually, 
I think it's called Gem Gemini. Um, so, and this image is based on the the reading, not so much a hundred percent my belief, but the reading. Uh, so the purple is heaven, which is love, just op open love, and just one, one love, one, one love, where the purple box is still love, but you can see all the different colored hearts where it's contained. And actually, this isn't even a perfect picture because <laughs> I thought after and so I didn't get a AI to do it quite perfectly yet I'm thinking that each little purple heart is in a box meaning that love is contained here on earth where love is free and open and there's just the oneness of love mm -hmm where love is contained on earth. That's so neat. What was the instruction that you gave AI to create this? I gave it, um, I can show you some of the earlier ones too. I don't know, can you, am I still <laughs> yes. sharing? I hope yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So let's see, I started, let's see what I said. <laughs> I said, create an image, the top part, um, what did I say, should be uh, a purple heart, and I think you can see it, there it is. There. Yeah, the bottom yeah. half of the screen should be many hearts, each heart is a different color, the hearts can overlap, all of these hearts are contained within a square, the square is just an outline in purple. So this is this is the initial one, and I'm like, oh, you're way off. I it's not. It didn't really come well. But then again, I kind of then I'm thinking after, which is kind of funny. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I kind of like that. It's kind of like floating, almost, almost like you're looking, you know, where the later ones where I said, you know, the top half and the bottom. This is almost as if you're looking down, right? You, you're above heaven and earth. So you're above them both and you're kind of looking down and there's heaven is on top of all the little hearts. Mm -hmm. And then um, let's see, then I said, beautiful, except, um, what did I say? Envision the purple heart above the box. Um, and then, uh, and then this kind of came, which is where the, this is the one with the box with the big purple hearts. And then finally I said, hmm, I need to give it better instructions because it wasn't doing what I wanted. So then I said, try again. <laughs> um, and then I said, I gave it more, you know, the white background and top and bottom. So then it gave this and it's like, oh, what happened? You didn't give me all the mix of colors. You know, it's just giving me shades of purple. So then finally I said, go back to the original. <laughs> um, and then I said, um, what did I say? The smaller, different colors, lots of hearts. Each heart is in a box. So it didn't really put that. It just 
put each heart in one purple box. Um, floating above it is the large purple heart. So that, that was the final iteration. Beautiful. That's so neat to see how you, you work with this. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I don't know why it, it just popped in my head, my thought, and I'm like, I was going to draw it, but it took too long. And I, my um, digital sketching with the mouse is not the best. So I said, let me use AI to do it for me. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have a really beautiful commentary to read for us to read. Okay. I think uh, I haven't read it, but it looked really good. The little parts of it I read. So I will share that. I just want to mention something. Yes. Uh, before, um, and it is uh, in accordance to what Nelda said, uh, because I remind a um, couple of talks that we have had uh, when she mentions uh, that everything is interconnected and is the same. And I just wanted to mention that I attended a small um, retreat last Saturday and they read um, a sutra uh, with some words of the Buddha and I don't remember, I apologize, the sutra. But it was mentioned there that we must rem remember that even the dust the particles of dust are Buddhas of the past in this life. And uh, you came to my mind. And while you were reading the Xing Xing Min, I just wanted to mention to you that. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Oh. Look at that face. <laughs> that a beautiful face? Yes. Okay, let's read in alphabetical order and um We'll go in, so we'll go in this order. Uh, Donna, you'll be first, and then me, and then M Melissa, and then Milan, and then Nelda, and then Starlet. Okay. Considering how common illness is, 
how tremendous the spiritual change that it brings. How astonishing when the lights of health go down, the undiscovered countries that are then disclosed. How much you want me to stop there or? Uh, no, we each re read a paragraph, so keep oh. going. Um, it becomes strange indeed that illness has not taken its place with love, battle, and jealousy among the prime themes of literature. Virginia Woolf, I'm being ill. Do you think that's true? Yes. I do think it's true. Well, and Scarlett, you would know from experience. Um, it's early morning and the sky colorless reflects my mood. Not too often, not too long ago, I wrote confidently about the moment's perfection, about the fundamental rightness of life as it is. But today that perfection eludes me. Today I skirt along the moment's edges, feeling the friction of this body and mind as they plod from one moment to the next. Every task, a burden. I've felt this tired before, I'm sure of it, but never so relentlessly or for so long. A battery of tests tells me there's nothing medically wrong with me. Friends think I'm depressed. I can list all the reasons why I think neither of these is true, but after months spent coaxing my boulder up the hill like syphilis... Sisyphus. Thank you. Without even the respite of watching it roll down, I've come to the conclusion that the what is less important than the then. Suppose this is just the way it is from now on. I've told myself not once or twice, but often. After all, there's always a shirt of hope that things will change for the better. Impermanence has other plans, it seems, but this doesn't keep me from hoping. Even though, in my mind, I can hear my first teacher, John Dido Luri Roshi, saying his booming voice, the whole thing is hopeless. Zen has nothing to do with hope. <laughs> hope is the other face of fear, he'd say. He'd say. And in a moment of total presence, there is no room for either. All right, then. No hope, no fear. So if this is how it is, I tell myself again, then how will you live? This, after all, is a relevant question and always has been whether the bed I'm lying on is made of... What? Daisies? Yes, daisies. Thank you. Or nails. Oh, the flowers? Yes. Mm -hmm. Margaritas. All day, all night, the body intervenes. 
blunts or sharpens, Wolf says in her magnificent essay on being ill. All day, every day, the diseased body intervenes in a way it doesn't do in health. And depending on how we choose to respond, we'll experience this intervention either as yet another source of suffering or as fuel for tremendous spiritual change. Reading one morning, Antonio Damasio's The Strange Order of Things, Life, Feeling, and the Masking and the Making of Cultures. I find in his words a neuroscientist confirmation of Wolf's insight into the transformational power of illness. Our feelings about pleasure and pain, illness and wellness and well-being Damasio says, are the very catalyst for the kind of questioning, reflection, and understanding that distinguish humans from other species. It's because we feel uncomfortable that we inquire into the nature of pain or illness, looking for ways to work with them more skillfully in our lives. Kim, I'm going to ask you to pretty please send me this link to this article when we're done. Because it just feels very relevant to my own condition. Okay, done. Thank you. Who's reading now, Donna? I, I think I am, yeah. This is something the Buddha was doing from the beginning. In the Salatha Sutta, Samyutta Nakya 36.6, the dart. He said that a person who grieves and laments over a painful physical feeling follows the dart of pain with a dart of suffering. But one who's able to remain present with the sensation without resistance or complaint will only feel the pain of one dart. In other words, pain and illness are not the problem. It's our reaction to them that causes us distress. Remember that famous quote, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Echoing the Buddha, Damasio would probably say that the only thing separating inevitable pain from discretionary suffering is the way we feel about what we feel. Anyone who has practiced with pain or discomfort knows this, of course. True. Is that true? <laughs> it is. The thing is that the way... <laughs> A long time ago, I had to make a decision. 
and that is I'm in pain 24-7. There's no respite. So what am I supposed to do? Just be here, present in the pain, and just be, I, 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 oh, it hurts. Um, if I do that, the pain stills the same. It doesn't get any better. But it's, 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 it's just no point to it. But if, it's, if I'm in pain and I can watch a movie, am I still in pain? Yes, but I get to watch a movie. Or if I'm in pain and I get to laugh, or I get to have a chat with a friend, or write or draw, my life continues and it's enriching. So that's a decision. It's just, okay, what did you do with the pain? If I have to live with the pain, it doesn't matter if I rest or if I do nothing, the pain stays the same level. I might as well do something that I may enjoy. I will be in the same type of pain, but having a good life. Thank you. Anyone who has read the Buddhist teachings knows that the acceptance is key. But as all of us also know, the gap between wish and reality can be wide and steep especially when the landscape is so much more appealing on the side of what we wish for. So I can't claim I haven't tried to bargain with the universe, especially on days like today, when a bit more energy would be just the thing. I long for those mornings when I could jump out of bed as soon as my eyes opened days when I'd move seamlessly from one task to the next. Now I seem perpetually stuck in a slow motion setting, my body blunt and feeling much heavier than it really is. My thoughts, on the other hand, are sharp and spiny. They snag on the most insignificant things, accumulating like burrs on a hiker's pant cuffs. The overall effect is not unlike a cartoon someone sent me recently. A little blobby character weighed down by several burdens labeled stress and past karma and pandemic fatigue trips on a tiny step called minor inconvenience and falls to its knees sobbing while another creature looking on says, I think you're overreacting. I know this kind of fatigue is difficult to explain to someone who has never felt it, especially when it's the only thing that ails you. Because, well, maybe it's all in your mind. Of course, it's all in my mind, I want to say. As a Buddhist, I know it is. I also know better than to draw a distinct line between it and my body. But I still have to live with this body, this mind. So there it is again, the insistent, then how? Once the 10th century Zen master, Fayan Wenyi, asked his Dharma brother, um, Shushan, 
A hair's breadth of distinct of difference is like the distance between heaven and earth. How do you understand this? Shrishan said, a hair's breadth of difference is like the distance between heaven and earth. Not satisfied with his answer, Fion pressed him. How can you understand it this way? Shrishan said, I am just thus. What about you? Fion said, a hair's breadth of difference is as the distance between heaven and earth. Shwishan thereupon bowed. The Book of Serenity, Case 7, translated by Thomas Cleary. In this koan, Fayan is quoting from the poem, Faith in Mind, attributed to the third Zen ancestor, Master Yanzi Zenkan. 400 years after Zenkan's death, Fayan very simply and elegantly uses this teaching to show Shishan how a crack becomes a chasm, though no, through no other means but the way we use our minds. That is so true. Do you all realize that was the poem that Nelda read? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he has oh. a Sorry. Go on. No, I was going to say that it has the distinction that instead of saying difference, it says distance. Mm -hmm. And that makes quite a difference. It says... Um, oh. Difference is there, but then distance. It says the distance between heaven and earth. And... If that wasn't translated like that in ours. Well, a lot like Malin's picture, <clears throat> because we measure where the moon is by distance, we can see that mm -hmm. not connected, right? Well, here it's a hairbreadth difference is as the di distance. And in the Shinshin Ming, it's a hairbreadth oh. of distinction. I see. And these are all translations, of course. So. Yes, yes. It just brings it a different um, understanding or meaning. So it's, he makes a Milan's photo of the moon from the earth, you know, showing that distance. Because I guess for an astronaut, it would really be a hair's breadth distance between between the astronaut and the universe. Mm -hmm. But I would also like to say that it could also be the difference between living in hell and living in heaven. Pain can do that. Okay, who's reading now? Donna. Is it Zen? Con Zen constantly insists that we get closer to our experience. 
Because the moment we start evaluating, judging, rejecting, or grasping, a crack appears. Given enough time and energy, this hairline fracture becomes a gap, then a gorge, then an abyss, an ever-widening space between what I want and what is. But the irony is that this distance doesn't actually exist. It's an illusion conjured up by the dissatisfied mind, the confused mind, the discriminating mind. So even though this gap is the place where suffering takes root, it's also the space where practice becomes possible and real. When we're able to see the crack for what it is, wish and reality merge. And we realize that we saw as a what we saw is a problem actually is no problem at all. I wish I could say in my case that this insight came after long and diligent practice, but in reality, it is more a matter of giving up or giving in. Whenever my thoughts began to spiral down a hole, whenever they bounced around madly looking for something to grab onto, my body stepped up. I'd be getting ready to jump on Google to search for diagnosis and treatments, or I'd start to worry about how long this flare-up would last, or I'd feel the first blooming of frustration and self-pity, and my body would assert itself gently but firmly. Oh, no, you don't, it would say to my mind. You don't have the energy to worry about this, so clear your mind of all this debris. Then the same fatigue acted, uh, acted like a thick layer of mud on a dirt road. Just as <coughs> my thoughts started to rev up, my old tiredness caused them to spin in place without gaining purchase. Without anywhere to go, they settled and stopped, robbed of the energy that usually keeps them going. That's why when it comes down to it, even I can't deny the advantage of this tiredness. Whereas before I'd muscle my way through any problem, I through any problem I came across, now my body isn't willing to even stumble along. It's clear that I go at its pace or not at all. And thankfully, I don't have the energy to argue anymore. So the light comment I made to a friend, this fatigue may be the only thing that will stop me from overworking, may turn out to be not so light after all. I have no choice but to slow down and watch, intrigued as my body works hard to protect itself and my mind with a wisdom that's far beyond the knowledge I turn to for refuge when I'm under stress. Damaso would say it's the wisdom of the body finely tuned to homostasis, a body that knows perfectly well how to maintain a balanced state without the meddling mind. So maybe it's a sign of my stubbornness that I still need to be reminded of this after all my years of practice. Yet 
I also recognize that at least some of my willfulness I've dutifully leaned, learned over learned over just as many years. Seems like you guys have the same teachers, Starlet. Mm -hmm. The same teacher, don't you? It does. And when it that's why I asked you for for this article because it's like mirroring, you mm -hmm. know. Okay, Milan. I'm deeply embedded in a culture that routinely sacrifices the body to work and early on I learned that in order to get anywhere to do anything meaningful I was going to have to work hard that in itself isn't a problem it's the closest system it, it's the closed system that equates work with self-worth that has so many of us trapped and even though in my 20s I went off to live in a Zen monastery I brought all my habits with me and these were both implicitly and explicitly reinforced by many Zen form, sense forms. That part is true. These are both implicitly and explicitly reinforced by many of Zen's forms. And that is sort of the bodhisattva kind of, you know, keep going, keep giving, keep, keep doing. And sometimes if we don't really watch our duty our, our um, I guess in this practice implicit vow of self-care then we're just back in the constructed form of doing things and sacrificing our body to work so so is that orange part a new paragraph I'll, I'll just read that orange part okay because it's, it's so significant to me right now. <laughs> now my body isn't willing to even stumble along. I go at its pace or not at all. And thankfully, I don't have the energy to argue anymore. But as she's feeling all this pain, she's writing. That's so amazing. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Just like Starlet. Hey, Starlet, you're next. For, for many years, I believed that practicing Zen meant I had to tame my unruly body and quiet my fecal mind. And the way to do both was through rigorous effort and discipline. Zen isn't known for its gentleness though I believe that's slowly changing. And the classical literature doesn't always encourage awareness of the body and its many needs. Bodhidharma, our revered first ancestor, ripped off his eyelids to stay awake during meditation. His disciple, Huiki, how did you pronounce his name? Wiki? I don't know. Wiki? Wiki cut off his arm to show his zeal. The nun and artist Rionen Genso 
disfigure herself to enter a temple. She previously had been denied entry because a priest deemed her too beautiful and said she would distract the monks. In the koans, monk after monk routinely gets slapped, kicked, punched, and beaten up. Some of the stories are most likely apocryphal, yet their message is clear. You must be ready to do whatever it takes to realize yourself, even if it means ignoring, harming, or giving up your body. Yeah, that doesn't work. Is it me? Yes. As a young practitioner full of drive and love for the Dharma, I too routinely ignored my body for the sake of waking up. I'd regularly forego food and sleep in order to sit longer hours. And when I got sick, which happened often, I simply waited to recover so I could do it all over again. Now with a bit of time and perspective, I can see that the way I practiced was based on a false dichotomy that pitted my body against mind. For a long time, I couldn't read the wisdom my cells are programmed with. I didn't know how to trust the unknowing mind. And I didn't have the stories of practitioners grappling with six sick bodies. Here comes description of Zen sickness and his melting butter. Visualization is an exception. Ailing bodies or just a run of the mill bodies doing the messy things that bodies do. Why don't nuns ever write about their periods? A fellow monastic said to me many years ago, we were talking about the demands of Zen practice and the ways in which it failed to take into account the female body and experience. <laughs> she was hungry, she said, to read accounts of women's real life experience, no matter how mundane. She wanted to hear about the body intervening because it inevitably does. People write up. People write always of the doings of the mind, says Wolf, in on, on Being Ill. The thoughts that come to it, the noble plans, how the mind has civilized the universe. They show it ignoring the body in the philosopher's turret or kicking the body like an old leather football across leagues of snow and desert in the pursuit of conquest or discovery. The story of Wiki standing knee-deep in snow, sword in hand and hacked, hacked stone bleeding may make for better reading than Anand's struggle with premenstrual brain fog, but it doesn't make the lottery any less relevant. When it comes down to it, None of us can get it on the body or turn a deaf ear to its wishes for long. 
Fortunately, more and more teachers are recognizing the need to make explicit what Buddhism has known all along. Body and mind aren't separate from one another. And we disregard either, whether in formal practice or in any other aspect of our lives, at great cost. The body isn't just a vehicle for realization or for getting things done. It's the root of wisdom, its very source. Sometimes we need to be nudged to remember this. Sometimes the reminder is a bit more blunt, but at the end of the day, the body will have the last word. Mindful of this, I decided it was time to pay closer attention and to create the conditions that would allow me to better hear what it had to say. That is a beautiful photo. Inside is made of outside. Oh, I love that. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> inside is made of outside. It says, I don't really know how to pronounce this name. Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes, Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh in understanding our mind, a, a, a commentary on Vasubandhu's 20 verses and 30 verses. Thinking of this, I've resolved to change the outside so I could better understand the inside. Last summer, I packed all my belongings, put them in storage, and with nothing but a couple of suitcases, moved back to Mexico where I was born. I chose a place I'd never been to, a fast-growing city called Playa del Carmen, about an hour south of Cancun, on the Caribbean coast, on the Caribbean coast. I came here drawn by my love of water and hot weather, as well as by the promise of a simpler, slower life. A few months into the trip, I can already feel the effects of this displacement, or rather, replacement, since I'm deliberately placing myself back at the center of my own life. Most days, the thermometer edges close to 90, but far from being oppressive, the heat is like a balm. It softens and blurs all the edges. So I have hard, a hard time discerning where I end and the rest of the world begins. I move through the still damp air slowly and without friction, allowing my body to move at the speed it needs to heal itself. Long walks and long swims now break up my work hours. And as much as possible, I've tilted the balance to spend more time outdoors than in. Ideally, I have been able to slow down just as easily in New York City, but there's no question that the body responds to the healing property of wind and sun much more readily than it does to those of bricks and cement blocks. None of us can jettison the body or turn a deaf ear to its wishes for long. The body will have the last word. 
The other morning I went for a swim as the sun was rising. The Caribbean at low tide streaked with bands of turquoise and cerulean blue. That day, the water was free of the sargassum that has covered these beaches in this last couple of years. And it shallow, in shallow waters, I could clearly see all the way down to the white sand. I dove in and swam steadily for a while, the gentle splash of my hands and feet, the only sound. Suddenly, I caught movement out of the corner of my eye. I stopped mid-stroke and submerged myself so that I could see what I was facing. And there, swimming about two feet from me, was a hawksbill turtle, its mottled amber and brown shell dazzling even underwater. It swam very slowly toward me with what I took to be curiosity and, after taking a good look, just as slowly swam away. In that moment, I understood why I was there. The last couple of years had widened the gap between my body and my mind. Not just for me, but for everyone. Too much time spent indoors, too many hours staring at a screen. And even though I myself was doing work I love, it wasn't enough. The animal body needs more of its own kind of nourishment. I turned and swam towards shore, letting my senses drench me in their song. The taste of salt water in my mouth, the sun seeping through my foggy goggles, the muffled cry of a seagull over overhead. It works perfectly, this body, I thought, as I turned my head to breathe, my legs kicking effortlessly behind me. It works harmoniously, seamlessly, and largely without complaint. It's only my mind that finds fault, constantly sweeping the territory for minds, falling into thought holes, <coughs> focusing on what it thinks it lacks rather than what it's always had. A few minutes later, I walked out of the ocean, and as excuse me, as my feet touched the sand, I saw clearly what I had only glimpsed before and hadn't wanted to accept. I can no longer shape reality in my own image. I am no longer able to force things into being. They'll happen as they will, and in their own time, and completely, and it's completely my choice whether to resist or accept to live in, I want this or this is. I want or this is. So that's what I'm doing now, gentling myself back into the soft center of each moment, the spaciousness at the heart of everything. Here, there is neither fatigue nor vitality, neither illness nor health, neither work nor rest. Here, what I have is what I want, and there's simply and always my life as it is, perfect and whole.
Do you think that's a, just this? Yes. I see the connection. I see why you chose this article. I think we should do one more thing. You can shoot me, but I think we should read the, mm. the koan. I would never own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, you may consider to move to Playa del Carmen. I, must, I will love. Carmen? I will. Have you been there, Milan? Yeah, it's beautiful. It is. I. That's one of my. I used to love going to the beach, and also my grandmother's name was Carmela. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day I can. I'll be happy to go with you. Who would read it? <laughs> Starlet, you want to read it? Sure. Okay. Payan asked Administrator Mont Xiushan, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. How did you understand this? Xiushan replied, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth, are clearly different. Fayan said, if that's so, how could you understand it? Shushan answered, I am just this. How about you, Osho? Fayan remarked, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. At that, Shushan about love. And look at this, Nelda, the next line. I see it now, yes. Yeah. Quoting the Shin Shin Me. So Nelda's going to, where are you going to be next week? Almost. And, and oh, you'll be here next week, I'll the 19th? Oh, okay. The 19th, yes. Okay. By the way, before we go, I would like to share a photo that I took this week, if that's okay. Yes. Because of last Wednesday. Oh, okay. Sure. I went, I went to get my blood work done. So I found myself under a winter oak tree. And I thought... I thought of Wednesday and I, <laughs> that's a photo I took. I, I, oh, I love was, the way it's tilted. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't quite know if it was going to come out because I was out there and I couldn't really see in the screen. And I'm like, I'm just going to take the photo and we'll see what happens. It may show up or not. That's so, neat. Thank it's you. So cool. Starlight, it shows all the spaciousness around the tree. And it's almost as if, as if the houses are looking right at the tree. You know, Do you live near there? No, this this is um all of those homes are really doctors oh. uh, offices. 
So I went to LabCorp and I was waiting for the medical transportation and I saw this beautiful winter tree and I was just, this is where I'm waiting. I'm going to be just observing this beautiful tree and enjoying it. And, and I remember what we did last Wednesday and that it reminded me of a winter tree. And I, I, <laughs> I found it meaningful. Well, thank, thank you all. This is really fun. Thank you always, Kim. Thank you. For making it possible. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Until tomorrow. All right. Be well. Bye. 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 Thank Bye. Thanks for coming, Donna. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Donna. Bye. Bye.